Good morning, God first. It's uh, great to be with you on this uh, rainy day. Continues to rain. And I hope that you are all well. This morning we're kicking off this new series from the book of Lamentations. And uh, I want to start off by saying that memorials really matter. The Apartheid Museum, Lily's Leaf Farm, Freedom Park, these things are important to us. They're designed to help us remember. They're designed to help us mourn, but they're also designed for us to learn. And the Book of Lamentations is a little bit like that. Like memorials, it honors history, but actually it has a message for us going forward. To give you a little bit of context around the book, um, it was written by Jeremiah in 587 BC. Jerusalem has just been destroyed by the Babylonians. And uh, what we're going to see is actually that God was behind all of this. About 150 years before, the northern kingdom had been overrun by the Assyrians. And uh, now we see God using the Babylonians to conquer Jerusalem as a result of their rebellion. We're going to be talking about suffering over these coming weeks. And it's important for, for me to say that suffering can come one of two ways. Suffering can come when you are completely innocent in it, but also suffering comes as a direct result of sin. And actually what we're going to see in this instance is that their suffering was linked to their rebellion as a collective. The Jewish people as a collective had rebelled against God and brought on this pain for them. And in this book, we're going to see Jeremiah detailing the situation and then lamenting for it. And I think the reason we've gone into this is we too are in a season of loss. And it's important that in the midst of this season of loss and suffering for, for many, that actually we learn to lament well. So you might be saying, okay, Greg, lament's a cool word, but actually what is the definition of it? What is a lament? Well, a lament really is a heartfelt cry, a passionate cry of sorrow. It's a, a prayer through which we pour our hearts out to God. It's directed to God. And it usually in itself involves processing some of the pain and struggle that we are going through. And yet at the same time it holds in tension the truth that we know about God. The fact that God is good. God is always good. And we hold these things uh, before him. It's kind of like we find ourselves in the gap between what we know of God, what we read of him in the Bible, and our own painful life experience, our real world experience. And it's living in that tension but bringing it to him. It's a, it's a cry of pain expressing our pain to him. But it's not charging him. It's not whining to him. It's, it's coming to him as the only one that can provide relief for that. It's, it's coming to him understanding our own brokenness, understanding our humanity and his holiness and his glory and his goodness. And there's a longing in it for our ultimate deliverance. And so over these five weeks, I want to encourage you to lean in that we can learn to lament well, that we can process well. In fact, I'm going to pray, Lord, won't you help us as a people to be full of hope in these difficult times, that through our lament we might progress to being a people of hope and faith in a glorious God. 
I ask this in your name, Jesus. You see, friends, what we're going to see is this book demonstrates the importance of us turning to God, not away from Him, turning to God in our suffering, turning to God with our issues, with our challenges, and importantly, making a choice to trust Him. When we don't understand what's going on, making a decision that we are going to be a people who trust Him. And so it's not just a memorial to the past that uh, Jeremiah is providing us with, not just a memorial to the destruction of Jerusalem, but it's showing us how to behave. It's giving us coaching tips on how to handle suffering. We have to face the reality that what we're also going to see is what happens when God says enough. When the rebellion of His people brings God to a point where He says enough is enough, and we see His judgment on His people. And we see that actually this judgment comes because of the depravity of man and the holiness of God and this separation and the right that the holy God has to discipline His own people. And in this case, even using a pagan nation to accomplish that, which is shocking. If you read through Scripture and and you understand God's love and passion for His people, it's absolutely shocking and sobering to see what goes down here. See, friends, through this book, we are going to realize that sin is serious. Sin is serious, and God is holy. Now, it's not all doom and gloom. This week is pretty dark, chapter 1, I can't lie. But actually, we're going to get in week 3 to that famous passage where Jeremiah says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. And so there's hope for us in the midst of sorrow. So we're going to look at the desolation, and then we are going to bring to mind who God is, the source of hope, the one to whom we can go with our lament. And we're going to see that actually we're going to see that the key to restored relationship with God is moving back toward Him, even after this affliction that they have been under. Now, just to understand the book, each chapter is a poem in and of itself, beautifully written. In this first chapter we're doing this morning, it has 22 verses. Each verse starts with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The commentators say that not only is that just beautifully written and poetic, but actually it also signifies the completeness of their brokenness, of their suffering. From A to Z, they suffer and are broken in this instance. I've asked Sue Hughes to read this passage for us, and we're going to read the whole chapter. That's 22 verses. And the reason I've asked for that is I want us to absorb all of what goes on here. It's heavy going, but we need to hear it. And listen, maybe you want to open your Bible, Lamentations 1, and follow with her as she reads your device, whatever it is. But let's go for it. The whole chapter of Lamentations 1. Over to you, Sue. Lamentations 1. Sorrow in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, once so full of people, is now deserted. She who was once so great among the nations now sits alone like a widow. Once the queen of all the earth, she is now a slave. She sobs through the night, tears stream down her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is no one left to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her and become her enemies.
Judah has been led away into captivity, oppressed with cruel slavery. She lives among foreign nations and has no place of rest. Her enemies have chased her down, and she has nowhere to turn. The roads to Jerusalem are in mourning, for crowds no longer come to celebrate the festivals. The city gates are silent, her priests groan, her young women are crying. How bitter is her fate! Her oppressors have become her masters, and her enemies prosper. For the Lord has punished Jerusalem for her many sins. Her children have been captured and taken away to distant lands. All the majesty of beautiful Jerusalem has been stripped away. Her princes are like starving deer, searching for pasture. They are too weak to run from pursuing from the pursuing enemy. In the midst of her sadness and wondering, Jerusalem remembers her ancient splendor. But now she has fallen to her enemy. There is no one to help her. Her enemy struck her down and laughed as she fell. Jerusalem has sinned greatly, so she has been tossed away like a filthy rag. All who once honored her now despise her, for they have seen her stripped naked and humiliated. All she can do is groan and hide her face. She defiled herself with immorality and gave no thought to her future. Now she lies in the gutter with no one to lift her out. Lord, see my misery, she cries. The enemy has triumphed. The enemy has plundered her completely, taking every precious thing she owns. She has seen foreigners violate her sacred temple, the place the Lord had forbidden them to enter. Her people groan as they search for bread. They have sold their treasures for food to stay alive. O oh Lord, look, she mourns, and see how I am despised. Does it mean nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look around and see if there is any suffering like mine, which the Lord brought on me when he erupted in fierce anger. He has sent fire from heaven that burns in my bones. He has placed a trap in my path and turned me back. He has left me devastated, racked with sickness all day long. He wove my sins into ropes to hitch me to a yoke of captivity. The Lord sapped my strength and turned me over to my enemies. I am helpless in their hands. The Lord has treated my mighty men with contempt. At his command, a great army has come to crush my young warriors. The Lord has trampled his beloved city like grapes are trampled in a winepress. For all these things I weep. Tears flow down my cheeks. No one is here to comfort me. Any who might encourage me are far away. My children have no future, for the enemy has conquered us. Jerusalem reaches out for help, but no one comforts her. Regarding his people Israel, the Lord has said, Let their neighbors be their enemies. Let them be thrown away like a filthy rag. The Lord is right, Jerusalem says, for I rebelled against him. Listen, people everywhere, look upon my anguish and despair. For my sons and daughters have been taken captive to distant lands. I begged my allies, my allies for help, but they betrayed me. My priests and leaders starved to death in the city, even as they searched for food to save their lives. Lord, see my anguish. My heart is broken and my soul despairs, for I have rebelled against you in the streets the sword kills 
and at home there is only death. Others heard my groans, but no one turned to comfort me. When my enemies heard about my troubles, they were happy to see what you had done. Oh, hasten the day you promised, when they will suffer as I have suffered. Look at their evil deeds, Lord. Punish them as you have punished me for all my sins. My groans are many, and I am sick at heart. Wow. Thank you, Sue. That was heavy going. You might want to go back and read that again in your own time, but right here we get a glimpse of the brokenness of our God, of our world. The brokenness of our world and the holiness of our God. Right here in chapter 1, we realize that actually grace is amazing because judgment is real. I want to set the scene for us for a moment. The first word we come across there is how. And it's the kind of how that if you're walking through your home and you hear your spouse or your friend or your parent answering the phone and talking to someone and going, what? How? How did that happen? There's a, there's an, a cry of anguish. Like, what, what's gone on here? Well, what's gone on here are the events that you can read up on in 2 Chronicles 36. I'm going to read some of them for us. Therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their young men with a sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or aged. He gave them all into his hand and all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the kings and his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. So basically anything of value, carried off, everything else burned. And they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all its palaces with fire, destroyed all its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped the sword, and they became servants to him and his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia. It is terrible. And if we look at Lamentations 1, we see Jerusalem described as this broken widow. She was once a glorious princess, admired among the nations. And the fall from grace has been calamitous. It has been horrific. It has been complete. There, there, there's no comfort. All purity has been lost. And there's been this complete departure from God's plan for these, His people. The, the city has been laid waste. And at the, the center, at the core of this lament, is the sense in which the enemy seems to have won. The enemy seems to have won. And yet in verse 5 and verse 12, we see that it actually is the Lord who afflicted her. And so in a very real sense, it seems that God's blessing has moved from His people to their enemies. Now, I find it interesting that Jeremiah has no problem with the fact that Babylon has been the hammer used in God's hand. God has used Babylon to achieve His purpose. And if you go back to verse 5 and verse 12, you'll see the reason for it. For the multitude of her transgressions, which provoked his anger. Now I, as I read this, I was challenged by this. This is challenging to me. I mean, I was thinking, but surely, Lord, there must have been some faithful in Jerusalem. 
Like, what about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I mean, remember those guys in the book of Daniel who stand firm in Babylon, having been carried off, being faithful to God? Surely they were faithful too in Jerusalem. But what this shows is that everyone are caught up in God's judgment of his people's rebellion. There's a national suffering going on here. And friends, what I want us to see this morning is that sin is not just an individual issue. Sin actually affects cultures. It can even affect nations. And the pain that we see reflected in this chapter 1 of Lamentations should cause us to pause and consider again who God is. Holy, blameless, pure, righteous, and who we are. So that's the scene that we see here in Lamentations 1. But the cause of the scene, as I said, Jeremiah points a straight line from their suffering to their rebellion. There's a straight line between the two. Their rebellion, their, their sinfulness has brought on their suffering. And what we see here in Lamentations 1 is that they had abandoned God and sinned grievously. If you read through the book of Kings and, Kings and Chronicles, you'll see that actually it was not just a few years. This had been decades and even centuries. And you read about one king doing worse than the one before. And the people worshipping all kinds of gods and offering all kinds of sacrifices, even to the point of offering child sacrifices to some of these gods. And then we see Jeremiah's ownership of it. In verse 18, the city has her voice and she says, The Lord is in the right because I rebelled against his word. The Lord is in the right because I rebelled against his word. And so friends, we have Jerusalem experiencing the abandonment of God. The abandonment of God. They are actually tasting the consequence of their sin. And you could say they're actually experiencing a little bit of hell right here on earth. And so right here, as I said, week one, we learn that there's a point at which God says enough to their rebellion. Now as we read through this lamentation, we see that actually Jeremiah is lamenting doubly. There's the one lament for the brokenness and destruction and pain and suffering experienced by Jerusalem and her people. But there's also the lament for the cause of that. The rebellion, the, the betrayal of God that went on below that. There's this double lamentation going on. And so my prayer is that somehow we would feel some of the weight of this. This morning, that's why I asked Sue to read that whole chapter, so that we would feel the weight of sin. Friends, sin is serious. It is very serious. And then we get down to verse 20, when there's this amazing response, where she says, Look, O Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach churns. I'm, I'm not well. My heart is wrung within me. Because I've been very rebellious. And in this, I see a cry for mercy. 
I see her owning her sin, owning her rebellion, but turning to God because, God, there's nowhere else that we can go but to you. And so even in this situation where the suffering has been brought on by the sin of the nation, there's an acknowledgement that the only way to deal with it, the only way to process it is to go back to the one from whom the discipline came. There's this admission of wrong. There's this admission that there's no one else to go to. You alone are God. And so I just want to pull a couple of applications out for us. The first one I've already mentioned, but sin is devastating. Sin is devastating. It's not a trivial thing. And I think if you, like me, there are a number of willful sins that I continue to engage in because I actually don't experience the consequences immediately. And so I think subconsciously, I think, well, it's, it can't be that serious, you know, because actually it hasn't affected my life in any visible way at this point. I imagine for decades the, Jerusalem's, the people of Jerusalem were, were going about their business with the exact same mentality. But friends, what we see here is that actually sin is deadly serious. And it has consequences that are horrific. And you might have already experienced some of them, but here's the deal. We will reap what we sow. And so if we continue sowing to our sinful nature, we will reap devastation in our lives. The second thing I see here is that grace is amazing because judgment is real. You see, if judgment wasn't real, if there wasn't a reckoning, there would be no need for the cross. There would be no need for Jesus Christ to have come to make a way for us. And when I think about this, I think our forgiveness is utterly incredible. It's amazing. What Christ accomplished for you and I is amazing. Now, if we move to the book of Jeremiah, you'll see that Jeremiah laments there as well. He does a lot of lamenting. I think he's called the lamenting prophet. And he laments the, the, the covenant that has been broken. In Jeremiah 2, we read, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. One, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, Two, they have hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that hold no water. I'm the, the one who provides living water. They've abandoned me. They've gone after other gods who will never satisfy. Joe Burgers, in what areas have you abandoned the one of living water and gone looking for satisfaction in other places? Those wells are dry. There's nothing in them for you. You see, Jeremiah longs for a new covenant to be established. The people broke the old covenant. And it comes to a climax in Jeremiah 31, where we read, For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And friends, this is the good news. 
Jesus came to usher in that new covenant that we now live in the days of the new covenant, the covenant that is written in his very blood. Because Christ came as a perfect human being on this earth, he lived a perfect life, and then he was punished. He was judged so that you and I don't have to be judged. So when we read about this judgment going on in, in, in I was going to say Babylon, in Jerusalem, when we read about this in Lamentations 1, we can stand going, thank you, Jesus, that that's not coming to me because it fell on you. He was judged. He was punished for the stuff that you and I have done wrong. For my rebellion, he was punished. And because of that, I get to go free. You see, judgment is part of the redemption story. Final judgment will fall on the devil, and it will fall on every human being who has not acknowledged Christ as Lord and King. It is horrific. But isn't it amazing that through faith in Christ, judgment isn't going to fall on us because it already fell on him? He already accomplished the work for us. And so when I read this chapter, it makes me appreciate Jesus. It makes me think, oh God, I don't deserve this. I get a fresh appreciation of grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. And my final thought for us to take away is the important role of confession. Confession involves us seeing our sin as God does. So getting a glimpse of our sin, those things we think are petty, through God's eyes. And then confessing that sin in the light of our brokenness and His holiness. Repentance is a word that is helpful because it means I turn from my way, messing with my little sinful, yucky behaviors, acknowledging that's wrong, seeing it for what it is, and then turning back to God and in repentance coming back to Him. And it's a beautiful process because it's in that process I I receive and I enjoy the grace of God and how incredibly amazing it is. And guess what? This is a a life's journey. It starts the moment you choose to make a choice to follow Christ or He gets hold of you might be a more accurate way of putting it, but actually for the Christian, all of your life involves repentance. As we find ourselves off on some side track, it's an acknowledgement, seeing our situation as God sees it, confessing that we were wrong, He is right, and turning back to Him and His way. I'm going to end by praying for us, and then we are going to go back into worship. And I want, I want you to consider Christ's work for you as we come to worship Him and, and lift Him up. Let's consider what He's done, what He's rescued us from, and uh, worship Him. But first, let me pray. Father, I want to thank You for Jesus. For those of us who are Your children, God, we're so grateful for the work of Jesus Christ for his sacrifice. And Father, we confess that often we don't get the seriousness of our sin. But when we read passages like this, we realize, wow, there actually is a reckoning. And I want to pray, Father, that you would help us see those areas in our lives that we need to confess and turn from. Lead us to worship your Son for what he's done. Lord, I pray for those who would not call themselves
disciples of Jesus today. I pray for those watching who are just kind of checking this out, Lord. I want to pray that they would reconsider their current situation in the light of who you are. And I want to pray that you would grant them repentance and faith. That they would turn from their way of living to follow you. That they would believe in you, Jesus. Friends, let's worship him together.